Well, we're going to pick up things a little bit this morning where we left off last week. I want to uh, tell you, we, we have a little shift in our schedule. There's something we're going to do um, different because we have a special opportunity. In two weeks, um, Ken Rudolph, I don't know if you know who Ken Rudolph is. We've had Ken with us a couple times. He's a weekly staple at Lake Ann Camp. How many have heard Ken Rudolph in the past? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, we have Ken Rudolph coming to speak here at East Bay in two weeks. Does that sound all right to you? Well, you don't clap for me. I mean, what am I, chopped liver? Oh, cut it off. Anyways. When I talked to Ken recently, he has an open invitation to come. Ken is just, he is choice. And, um, and I, I love Ken. I've known Ken for 30-some um, years. Um, we were in the church nursery together is what it was. And um, so uh, when I spoke with him and he knew that our, our teen missions trip was um, going to be departing right after that 28th uh, date. He wanted to come and speak with us, and so he's going to be with us uh, July 28th. And so I'm going to be starting my series in Ruth called Hope is Here the week following. And so I'm going to take one more week um, in a vision teaser next week. And I have so much to ring the rag on here. I'm going to do that next week um, as we talk through some vision things uh, if I can just be open with you this morning, um, I don't say this, I'm not looking for anything, I, I'm not asking for anything except just for your understanding. Sometimes pastors stand up here and they have a deep, deep well from which to speak from and draw from personally. I do not have that today. <clears throat> um, I have a lot of, uh, there's just a lot in my life right now that I'm, I'm, I'm a person just like you are. Um, although I'm a shepherd, I'm also a sheep. And uh, I'm walking down a road just like you do, and sometimes I walk into church and I need to be filled just like you do. And as I communicate God's word, sometimes I need messages just like you do. And I would love to say, you know, here I am, and bam, I just, you know, I have it all, and I don't ever have any problem ever in anything that I go through and um, I need the church just like you do folks thanks my friend so I'm casting vision not just for a church I'm casting vision for people and I'm casting vision for me as a part of it and for my family I don't want you to read into this. I'm not into sin. I'm not into a personal problem. I've been dealing with a lot, and I feel tremendous weight 
and, um, and I need your prayers. I really do. And I need your love. My family needs your love. And so I just plop all of that out there. I'm not asking for attention. Um, I just want to just plop it out there. You're the body of Christ, and I'm in it. So there it is. Sound all right? We do this thing together. And I walk into here, and I've already received texts, people that are hurting this morning. Someone even just grabbed me and hugged me and said my best friend's son was killed in a car wreck this morning. Someone else texted me this morning, and their child is just desperately hurting and going off the deep end. And, and man, our, our, our world needs us, folks. We're, we're, not a, we're not a showcase of folks where everyone has it all together. We're, we're people here trying to figure this thing out. We're saying we need Jesus. We need help. We've got to work through this life together. And I really believe our area is poised for an exceptional need I talked about this last week. I've talked about this a couple times in the past, and there's this chart I want to throw up here on the screen. And our area has a very unique need in that 40% of our population is de-churched. We've talked about this, but 40% of our population has been in church. <clears throat> They've done the church thing They've done everything that we've experienced. They've gone to the classes. They've gone to the school. They've, they've gone here in worship services. And so they've experienced all of this stuff. And, and the deal is, they're not here anymore. And, and I'm going to say this is even unique for us because in our region, not only have they experienced church, I've talked to many of them. Many of them experienced in the past, our church. A lot of them have history here in our region. If you notice, um, <clears throat> the Traverse City Cadillac region is number 14, and here we are on the same stats with San Francisco and Boston. You know, who wants to be on the same stats with, with, the, with the place that has the Red Sox? Honestly. But our region is unique. And so we're looking at a, at, a, at a different area. Many of these people don't do church, have already done it. And how are we going to connect with them? <clears throat> and we started to talk about this last week, and we, talk, we talked about some different considerations. We need to turn our face back to our mission. We need to be missional. Enough of, of the museum church enough of man wasn't that awesome how it used to be you know enough of man let's let's do it the good old-fashioned way or man wasn't that neat i liked it back then I, I know i did too but this is a really special day this is a really unique situation and everything we do we must do to the advantage of the gospel not to the advantage of me. We need to think what's really going to advantage the gospel 
now, here, in this region, to these people, in this situation. We need to turn our face back to the bay, and we talked about this last week, of the largest churches in our county, ours is the closest to Traverse City specifically. <clears throat> and yet the, there are certain things about the city that make more conservative churches uncomfortable. And I'm just being straight up honest with this here. I think there's anything you know about me as a pastor. I'm honest with you, maybe sometimes a little too honest. And so there's some things that make us uncomfortable about the city. You know, for some people, maybe the rainbow crosswalks. I don't know about that. Maybe the cultural developments. Maybe Michael Moore, boy, you know, maybe different things happen in the city and you say, you know, I'd rather kind of turn our back to the city and maybe look more rural, do things more rural-ish, kind of ignore the city. So some people say that, and, and here's the reality, like we're the closest to the city of the largest churches in, in Grand Traverse County and our church building is not on wheels. God has us here for a reason. We need to have a missionary mentality. I don't think God is biting his fingernails like, oh my, what are we going to do? I've never seen anything more difficult than Traverse City. Turn our face back to the bay. We need to take a different approach toward the D-Church, the 40%. They used to be here. They no longer are. They've seen what we do. And granted, maybe a part of that's on them. You know, they're not here anymore. Maybe part of it is on them. I'll grant you that. But maybe a part of it's on us. So what are they looking for? And we talked about that this last week with Adelaide. Now let me tell you, if you weren't here last week, you missed out on the story of Adelaide. And, and I'm just telling you, you can go on our website and be blessed with Adelaide's story. And in fact, this week it is free access to that message. It's free access every week. Sorry about that. You'll be blessed to hear Adelaide's story. She was de-churched. She was away from church for seven years. She's exactly what we're talking about. And I remember her walking right down here on April 28th, and we sat right there in that pew. And she said to me, I've been away from church for seven years. I know all the answers. She says, I've done it all. I've done church. I've done youth group. I've done Sunday school. I've done it all. I know all the answers. And she explained to me where her life had been. And folks, at that age of 21 with three kids and her husband in prison and experimenting with everything from alcohol and drugs and homosexuality and promiscuity and the whole shoot and match all the way through. And she says, and you know what I need? I don't need a class. I need a person. And that's exactly what she said. I don't need a class. I need a person. So we gave her a person. God's changing her life. And so you know what? And here's the last thing we talked about last week. 
Ask less of programs and more of people. Ask less of programs and more of people. So I'm going to ask you, a little audience participation here this morning. How many of you know someone who used to be in church and no longer is? Not just think, I'll give you a moment to think about it. You know someone who used to be in church and no longer is? Would you raise your hand with me right now? Used to be in church and no longer is? And I think that pretty much is all of us. Hmm. I think we're all hit with the 40%, aren't we? Some of us are hit a little bit closer than others. Some of you may be sitting here and a part of that 40% is your spouse. I'm all alone. For some of you, it's your child. Some of you, it's your grandchild. For some of you, it might be you. And you're here this morning saying, I'm just giving this a try, and we'll see what happens. And if that is you, I'm here to say thank you. Thank you for giving God another chance in your life. I think that's awesome. But people, we've got to tackle this 40% issue in our region. We just can't turn a blind eye to it, pretend like it doesn't exist. 40% of our region used to go to church and no longer doesn't. How should we treat the 40%? How did Jesus treat the 40%? And I've got a text that's going to show us how Jesus treated the 40%. So, John chapter 4. This morning, turn to John chapter 4. If you have your copy of the scriptures, John chapter 4. If you have your cell phone or uh, some electronic device, John chapter 4. If you're a little newer in looking for it, um, the gospel of John. If you find some red letters in your Bible, it's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, probably about three-quarter way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get to the book of Acts, Romans, a little too far. If you are Googling, just don't get confused with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's just the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And if you are in your electronic device, you just need to promise to decline all invitations to Candy Crush Saga. John chapter 4, and we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with the 40%. Now you're saying, who in the world were the 40% in Jesus' day? Who were the de-churched in Jesus' day? Well, there were a number of de-churched in Jesus' day, but I'm going to show you one group this morning that Jesus dealt with that were definitely, they used to be in, and now they were on the out. And how did the religious people deal with them? And how did Jesus deal with them? So let's take a little peek at this group in John chapter 4. Notice in verse 1, here's kind of the context. John chapter 4 verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Um, 
although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So Jesus is on his way. He's, he is moving through the land of Judea, going back to Galilee, to his hometown area. But notice this. There was an area of land in between Judea and Galilee that was a shortcut this area was called Samaria. This is the interesting area we're going to talk about this morning. Notice verse 4. <clears throat> now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, Now if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right when you say I have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet and our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and truth. They are kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is worship, or God is Spirit, and is worship. Worshipers must worship in Spirit and truth. And the woman said, "I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us." Jesus' big declaration: "I, the one speaking to you, I am He." Here's the big. 40. The Samaritans are like the 
40% in Jesus' day. I just want to explain to you how they are the 40%. They are the de-churched. They were the ones that used to be in and now are out. And here's how this works. The Samaritans occupied the country formerly belonging to the tribe of Ephraim and the part of the tribe of Manasseh. When the Israelites were carried away into captivity by Assyria, and I know some of this stuff is like, what? They were carried away by the Assyrians, this northern tribe of Israel, in 722 B.C. There were some Israelites that remained in that area. Now, here's what happened. The Assyrians, the king of Assyria, sent some Assyrians back into this area that is now Samaria. The Assyrian people intermingled with some of the remaining Israelites. They are now known as the Samaritans. You guys with me now? So here they were full-known, full-bred Jewish people, Israelites. After this captivity and some of the Israelites left with the Assyrians in captivity, some Assyrians went back and some of the remaining Israelites that were in this area now intermingled with Assyrians and now they were seen as the Jewish people as half-breeds. Samaritans. So now they weren't full-bred Jews. Not only were they not only full-bred Jews, they were half-bred Jews with the enemy. Think about that. They were now intermingled into society. They were part of the outsiders. They were not part of the insiders anymore. And then not only were they intermingled that way, their religion was intermingled. The Assyrians brought their idolatry, so not only were they intermingled racially, culturally, but religiously, their idolatry came in from the Assyrians, which mostly put them at odds with the Jews at nearly every step. They did not accept all of the Jewish Bible or all of the Jewish traditions. I don't know if you know this or not, but when, when um, the Jews, when Nehemiah tried to engage in building the walls of Jerusalem, so here when they finally came back, the Jews came back and they wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, guess who tried to stop them? The Samaritans tried to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. When the Jews wanted to build their own temple, guess who ended up building their own temple of worship? The Samaritans. And then here's the last clincher. The Samaritans allowed Samaria to be, this is kind of a sensitive subject in our day, the very first sanctuary city. So all of the criminals from around them, all the Jewish criminals, could come to Samaria and find a refuge from the law. 
and there was nothing that the Jews could do about it. They were the very first sanctuary city of that day. And so the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans. And here's what they ended up doing. The Jews would just go around Samaria. They hated them so much, instead of going through Samaria, whoop, they would just go around them. Basically, the Jews did to Samaria what we do to Traverse City during Cherry Fest. Right? Are we on the same page with this? I'm not going through there. No way in the world. We're going around that baby. And so I'm not dealing with them. I can't stand them. That's how they felt. I'm just going to ignore them. They despised them so much. It was shorter to go through, but they went around. I'm going to show you. Here's a few ways that believers deal with the 40%. Here's a few ways believers deal with those that don't believe the same way as them. I'm going to give you five ways, and I need to jump into a few things here with this account. Five ways believers deal with our changing world. Number one, they avoid them. They avoid them. And here's how they can avoid them. I get involved in a million church activities. Well, I got women's group on Monday. And I got tea time on Tuesday. I'm involved in the kids thing on Wednesday. I go out with the ladies on Thursday. And I got my special thing on Friday and prayer time on Saturday and then church on Sunday. And I don't see any of them all week long. Praise the Lord. No interaction. Here's another way some believers deal with society or the 40% combat. Some of them take on a dirty, hairy mode. Like, go ahead, make my day. Like, they've got their Facebook posts and Instagram locked and loaded. Like, bring it on. I'm going to make a scene for the Savior right now. Like, you know, and, and they're loading it up. These are the statements, man. Take it or leave it. You're going to hear about it right now. How you all are blowing it. Some Christians comply. I've seen some churches just give in. You know what? I think we'll attract more people if we just kind of give in on this stuff, folks. You know? If we just go along with it and maybe say all of this is okay... It's a new millennium, you know? Maybe if we say it's all, all okay and, and just embrace it all, then maybe, then maybe everything will be better. I've seen some Christians, number four, just fear. They're scared. They just huddle like praying for the rapture, almost like Star Trek, like beam me up, Scotty. Like, just get us out of here now. Like, I have no idea what to do. Let's go. I 
And then there was what Jesus did, which is number five in its influence. Notice what he did, and I, I, I need to move through this. I have way too much, and I knew I did. But just look at it this way. It's like 30% more message for the same price, folks. Really. Okay, let's move it. Let's go. Um, this is what Jesus did. The Jews avoided. They hated it. And I love this, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. He could go around it just like all the Jews did. He didn't have to go through it from a human perspective. But he had a divine appointment. And Jesus just doesn't avoid the opportunity to love people. So he went through it. And there's just so much more that we can cover here, but let's just hit a few highlights. So he's at the well at an unpopular time. At high noon, it's at the hottest time. No one's at the well. That's why this woman shows up. This woman is at there at this specific time because truthfully, she's an outcast as well. I don't know if you realize it. When we've seen her reputation, did you see what was going on in her life? Five husbands. The man she's living with is not her husband. So she's an outcast. That's why she's there at noon too, not at the popular time when everyone else would be there and enjoying each other. And so, so he comes at an unpopular time. She's there at an unpopular time as well. And she begins talking to, number one, a Samaritan. Never happens. Jewish people would never talk to a Samaritan. That was... That was an outcast of the religious they were. Number two, he's talking to a woman, which was certainly an outcast culturally. And then number three, she was a woman who was an outcast to her society due to her lifestyle. And even the disciples, when they came back, and they look over and there's Jesus talking with this woman, and they're like, whoa, um, we're not going to ask why he's doing that and they just kind of kept their distance and they didn't ask what was going on but they knew that this whole thing was just a really unique situation and they left it alone and jesus got talking on this water analogy he obviously was referring to something much more significant than what she was thinking about and then he gets personal in her life and he pointed out her true need what was really going on. And he got at it big time. I loved it. Go call your husband and come back. Well, I don't have a husband. Well, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five and the man you now live with is not your husband. Kind of reminds me of the time my wife and I were at Denver Airport. I remember we were sitting down. It was just so crowded, and we were looking for any place to sit. And 
there were little tables like this, and, and um, we ended up plopping down. There was a woman there. There's no table where there wasn't somebody, and so there's this woman at one, and we just, whoop, can we sit here by you? And so we did, and, and we were just making some quick small talk, and, um, and I looked at her, and I said, um, so where are you going today, Judy? And I'm telling you folks, her eyeballs went She said, how did you know my name? And I just looked at her just, and I said, Judy, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I said, plus I saw the name tag on your luggage. <laughs> I couldn't quite pull it off like Jesus did. <laughs> Anyways, imagine what this woman, when Jesus dropped the bomb on her, when he just totally filleted her need like, oh, he knows why I'm here at noon. He knows why I'm all alone. He knows why no one's associating with me. And now I know what he's talking about with his living water. This guy knows my real need. My real need for hope. Or else every day I'll be coming back at noon all by myself. for the rest of my life. And I think this guy can do something about it. And if you look even a little bit farther, she, she was just blown away in verse 28. I love this. She left the water jug. She went for water. And it's like, I'm going back to tell my guy and she just left her water jug and she went back to town because leaving her water jug, she really did find what she was looking for now. She found her greatest need was met. She found the one who's really going to meet her big need because when her big need is met, she's not going to be alone. She's really going to be fully filled on the inside She's going to find this hope. And her life was so changed. I love this verse 39. She goes back to town, and many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Can you believe this? Here's the woman that was an outcast who went to town all by herself to get water when no one else cared about her, and she goes talks to the Samaritans and it says the Samaritans from town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Are you kidding me? Like they're believing in Jesus because of her? What does she know? What She didn't go to any class yet? Well, hold on, lady. You need to go to witnessing 
101. What does she have? It, it says, what she had is he told me everything I ever did. She went in there and all she said, well, you know what? Guess what? He told me I almost had as many husbands as Elizabeth Taylor. You know, I, he just exposed my life and that I need hope. And he said I needed living water so I don't thirst. And I do. He's the one that's going to save the world, and I believe him. And you need to believe him too, and that's just what she did. And people started believing Jesus, and Jesus, it mentions, he came in, more people believed, and he stayed with the Samaritans, it says, for two more days. Are you absolutely crazy? Kidding me? Jesus, a Jew, stayed in Samaria for two more days? The Jews treated the 40% by either ignoring them, avoiding them, or labeling them. Oh, look at Jesus. He's with the sinners. He's with the prostitutes. He's with the tax collectors. He's with the thieves. Look at him. Jesus went through it. I want to... Um, that thing is giving me all zeros back there like my time is up. Can, can you fix that? Can you fix that? That must be broken. I apologize. I apologize to all of you. Um, let me give this to you. Thank you for fixing that. I appreciate that. Yes. They just reset it. Amen. Amen. We have healed that. I want to give you something. I want to tell you something um, about our vision that we're looking at for, for the future. This is what I've been praying about. I don't have a program. So we say, what's the, what's the program? What program do we want to do? I don't have one. I don't have a big Let's do this where I need three people over here doing this and two people over here doing that and four people in this. I don't have a program in line. Here's what I'm looking at for the future of our ministry that I, I just think is so revolutionary and it's so Jesus-like. It's this idea that um, we all are God's program to reach and disciple our world for Jesus Christ. And here's a, a value statement that I want to give. <clears throat> and some of this I'm going to hold back for next week. That's just my little teaser. That's how I'll get you to come back in case you're wondering if you would or not. Let me give you this value statement, and I'm going I'm to end with a story, and I'm going to keep those last two things um, for next week in case you're wondering what I'm going to do back there in the booth. Here's a value statement I want to give you, um, something I've been tinkering with, and next week we'll explore a little bit more what we're talking about. 
This is what I've been praying about inside. This is not our vision statement. This is not a vision statement. This is a value statement. I want to want us to pray about to develop a culture of the gospel. A culture of the gospel. Not an event. I'm not talking about an event of the gospel. You didn't see Jesus going into the middle of Samaria. Hey, Jesus is doing a, a pottery giveaway in the middle of Samaria. Come, and he'll give away pottery, but you have to sit through his gospel presentation. You know, it's nothing, nothing like that. He had something bigger, something much bigger he was doing. It wasn't an event. There was a culture of the gospel, and it needs to be in all of us first, and it needs to be seen in our ministry structure and it gives people things. It gives them time. And it gives them hope. And it gives them belonging. And it's for the de church and it's for the unchurched of our region. They need those kinds of things. And, and Jesus gave them these things in this passage. It's way more than what I can share here today. But it's so significant. I'll just share it with a story and then we'll be done. There was a couple that came to a previous ministry of mine and um, it was a, um, actually it was a a couple that was um, same-sex attracted, and they were involved. Um, they had walked through the doors, and um, I had not met them before. And I walked up to them and connected with them, and um, and over a period of a few weeks, I had enjoyed talking with them and and uh, developed a relationship with them. And it was interesting as I was speaking with them, you know, some, some other people in the church would come up to me like, oh, do you know who they are? You know, you know and some of the chatter that would go along. And, and um, so in some of the conversation, it, it was really unique because um, they used to be in a church that would um, affirm their lifestyle. But here was the unique thing is that they still felt empty because they weren't getting anything from God's Word that really still filled their heart. Sure, people would pat them on the back, but they weren't feeling really anything from God in all of that. And so they came to church and they said, they expressed that as their need. And so... um, I had never experienced anything like this. Like, I grew up in this little rinky-dinker Baptist church my whole life. I was a part of the avoid crowd or the statement crowd where, you know, we didn't have Facebook back then, but, you know, make a statement, say your thing against these people and, and run away. And so I didn't know what to do with any of this. And so all, all we ended up doing, I... I 
talked with them. I loved them. We spent time with them. Prayed for them. I wondered, how do I handle this? And it wasn't too long they wanted to meet with me. And I realized they wanted to meet with me to help me understand that I was wrong on this issue. So I met with them. And they had a book. Well, I had a book. Thankfully, mine was written by God. But I listened. I loved them. And I just presented them scripture, and I was willing to meet with them again. And I just presented them scripture, and I remember after meeting with them, I said, you know what? This may not just be a one and done. Boom. I said, I am more than happy to meet with you and to connect with you. And you know what? We had had them over our home for dinner. I said, let's let's continue to talk. But I presented them with a question at the end, and I said, you know, I just want to put this out to you. Do you really believe that where you're at right now is God's intention from the beginning. That's all. Said if you really believe that, then you just, let's keep talking about this. But I hugged them, I loved them. One woman had ovarian cancer. I went and visited her in the hospital. Remember, um, they needed a sense of belonging and the one one, um, was just phenomenal and made quilts and she donated a quilt toward a, charity and um and we we i'm telling you she felt like a million dollars because we um we bid that quilt up to like 250 dollars like everything else went for peanuts in this charity and here hers went for mega bucks compared to everything else and but we gave her a sense of belonging and these gals even got into a small group and i'll never forget the day folks when they stepped in to my office and they said, Pastor, you need to know that we've thought about everything you've said. And the answer is, God didn't intend this from the beginning. And we've decided we can't keep doing this. And we've stopped. I was just blown away. And you know what they lost at that moment? They lost a huge community, folks. They lost a tight-knit community because everyone that associated with them through that just went, if you didn't stand with them anymore, it was gone, and we needed to embrace them and rally around them and love them because that was a massive decision at that very moment. 
but we gave them time. And we gave them hope. And we gave them a sense of belonging. We didn't avoid it. We could have made a statement. You know, we could have bought a bigger bullhorn. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. We could have made a statement instead of making a difference and making disciples. And Jesus did it differently than the Jews. And I think his way is the way that makes a difference today. And you know what? I love those people back at the sound booth. Not only did they turn off the TV, they moved the clock and took it down. God bless you people. It could be 1.30 for all I know. And thank you for your patience. Can we stand together? There's so much to do here, folks. I need to talk to you more next week. Don't be scared away. I, I only have like 10 minutes left. Next week will be real quickie. Real quickie, I promise you. Maybe not real quick, but quicker. We got more to chat about. We need to connect with our community the way Jesus did, not the way the Jews did. But God, would you do it again? You touched your world in dynamic ways. The way Jesus made a difference, made an influence, he was so powerful with those who were on the outside of religion, those who were ostracized, those who were labeled, those who were hated by religion. And the least like Jesus liked Jesus. What a magnificent testimony. And God, I pray that you would help us to develop this culture of the gospel where, Lord, it's not in a program. It's not where we say, oh, if I could just get them to go to this, but God, where we say to people, come to me, come to my house. Let's go out for coffee. Let's be together. God, would we develop a culture like Jesus where we are Jesus to each other, to our world where we make a difference, where we make disciples, not just statements. And would you do it again? Do it again, right here, right in this area. All for you, for your glory and credit. All of you space said.